Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, welcome to Shocking Lord Taldry, a history of American scandal. Why did you get so Southern on Tawdry? <laughs> I don't know. I can't say Tawdry without it. I don't know. I drop into an accent. I can't help myself. Tawdry. Oh, I guess I do too. Well, Tawdry. Oh, it's Tawdry. <laughs> I'm Mark. I'm Casey. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome to episode three. I'm just going to say it. This is episode three. Okay, we're, there you go. It's been said. Yeah. Now it is. It's numbered. Because we're not going to edit that out. Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, okay, so uh, not to just dive right in, but um, I don't know if we have any updates or anything. So I think we can kind of just dive right in. I'm also really excited about my scandal this week. So yeah, that's my story. That's my update for the week. I have no updates other than uh, I have a gay porn star texting me right now. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to put my phone on uh, airplane. Because well, don't, don't, don't let this stop that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I want to focus on, I want to focus on your tawdry story, not the sordid photos that I'm currently being sent. <laughs> well, we'll post those in the, uh, in the show notes for sure. Yeah, that'll be a, a web exclusive. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that, everybody. Um, okay, so my scandal. So this is one of my favorite scandals because um, it's often overlooked because it overlaps with a huge, huge scandal that everybody knows. So this one kind of like, it's a little brushed under the rug or, you know, off the radar, but um, it's absolutely insane. So yeah. So my scandal is the scandal of one Spiro Ted Agnew. <gasps> oh, Casey, you know, I love his wife, Judy. I know. Talk about Judy. Oh, poor Judy. That lady. Oh, she did not. When Nixon, when Spiro Agnew came home and said, well, Nixon has just asked me to be his vice president. And I said, yes. Judy said, can you get out of it? <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, she knew. She knew this was not going to end well. Oh. Mm-hmm. She, <laughs> remember thing. the rumor about her that she served cocktails out of old glass peanut butter jars? Yes. Which um, I kind of love. I mean, why can't you reuse it? I mean, what's wrong with that? And also, she that's was... a mighty big cocktail, which I appreciate, Judy. Good job. Well done. I mean, truly, that is choosy mom's choose Jeff indeed. <laughs> why stop there? Why stop there? Um, okay, so 
so Spiro, so he's, his, um, he's known as Ted to his friends. His middle name was oh. Theodore. That's where that comes from. Um, but I'm going to call him Spiro because that's a great name. I mean, why back away from it? So um, he was born on November 9th, 1918 in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, he is just DC through and through. Um, he is most known for serving as Nixon's vice president from November 1969 to October 1973. Um, just a little background because this, this story is quite long, so I'm going to go ahead and apologize for that. But um, he, a little background, so he basically, he did all the things you do. So he went to John, Johns Hopkins, he backed it up with law school, worked as an aide for a U.S. Um, House of Representatives. Uh, representative. Um, he got elected as the Baltimore County Executive um, in 1966. He got elected um, as the governor of Maryland. He was really a, a law and order type guy when it came to, uh, to civil rights, and he wasn't afraid to speak his mind. Ugh. Um, then in 1968, he gets added to Nixon's presidential ticket. In 1972, they get reelected. In 1976, he runs for president with the back, backing of Nixon, and he opened up his presidential library in 1990 on the Baltimore Inner Harbor. Be sure to visit. It's right next to the Rusty Scooper. The end. That is not, that is not what happened. That is not what happened. But uh, can you imagine? Anyway, I... no, what actually happened... <laughs> First of all, oh, I was nice so caught thing? up in your storytelling prowess that I was like, yes, Spiro acted, of course. How did I forget he ran for president? <laughs> oh, and his, his presidential library is beautiful. It's gorgeous. No, it's gorgeous. No, just no, that is not. You tricked me. But... <laughs> no, actually in 1973, ended up drinking one of those martinis Judy made on the couch while she packed up all their shit so they could get out of town. Yes. That's what happened. Yeah. She was already packed. She was. She was. She never really unpacked. She was like, oh, I know where this is going. Um, okay. So in real, for, for real talk, real talk. Um, so the earlier part is true. He started running uh, for office in 1956. He was county executive governor and VP. All true. All true. Just the back half was, you know. Um, I'm not going to get into too much of his politics, but just as a general sort of where he fit into the system. Um, some actually say that he is the true father of modern conservatism. And if he hadn't been a criminal, we would have talked be talking about um, Agnew economics and some Agnew Democrats. Uh, he was wildly popular with the Republican base, really, you know, the OG Trump. Um, and in the 1972 campaign, um, it largely consisted of him going out and speaking to large crowds, uh, defending Nixon and attacking their enemies. Just that's pretty much the strategy for that one. Uh, and they won in a landslide. They were very, very popular. They only lost one state. Fun fact, that was Massachusetts. Good job. Um, oh. And yeah, yeah. So they they really won that one, um, which is a factor as we move through this. Um, but let's see. Um, and then also just sort of uh, what this what he meant to the Nixon ticket. Um, he he was very he was sort of the more conservative of the two on the ticket. 
And what that did was make the Democrats essentially fear or hate Agnew even more than Nixon, which kept Nixon from being impeached for a little while because they didn't want, they were like Agnew's worse than Nixon. Cough, cough, Mike Pence. So there is a bit of, yeah, there's a lot of parallels here, which are weird. The number of times people in 2016 said, I mean, we lived through Nixon. And I was like, (laughs) he was a career politician. I don't think these two things are comparable. No, no. So, um, and then also just sort of a a fun fun fact is um, when you're thinking about the line of succession at that time, uh, the House Speaker, which would be third in line, this guy, Carl uh, Carl Albert, was even more conservative than than Agnew and Nixon. So the Democrats at the time were like, oh shit, what do we do? So that was just to sort of give give a little bit of context as to, um, you know, a lot of people are like, why did Nixon last as long as he did? Because Watergate really dragged on and on and on. Um, Spoiler alert, this happens during Watergate. Okay. Um, so yeah, so this, this scandal gets, it gets a little, um, messy and, uh, and interesting because it does happen basically at the height of Watergate. So Watergate is happening. Everybody's super laser focused on that. Meanwhile, um, there's another investigation going on and it happens to be into the vice president. So, um, the trouble really begins in 1972, um, George Bell, Uh, who is the Maryland DA, opens up an investigation in Baltimore County. Uh, He essentially is thinking uh, the initial investigation targeted the current Baltimore administration. And um, there were some rumors about Agnew, but at the time, the statute of limitations had run up. So it really didn't matter. He wasn't really in the conversation. Uh, And it was a really young group of prosecutors, like fresh out of law school. They were really expecting to catch really low-level supervisors taking bribes is kind of what they thought they were going to get. Like just, you know, one guy here, one guy there. Um, It quickly went elsewhere. They started to question these suspects, these like um, guys giving the bribes, and they all just started coughing up information. They all just started saying, no, 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 I gave it to this person. I gave it to that person. Here's how it all worked. And um, so they really broke quite quickly. Um, so what was happening is that as county executive, uh, essentially how that worked. So when he was Baltimore County executive or or whoever is Baltimore County executive, you really have the, the right and the duty to award government contracts to businesses. So you want to build a school, the county executive decides who's going to build that school. Um, what Agnew did was award those contracts exclusively to businesses that would pay him off. So, um, the payoff started oh. started pretty directly. Um, he would essentially say, you know, asphalt firm X, you're going to pay me 5% on this government contract and I'll give it to you. They would hand him the cash. He wouldn't say, thank you very much. Here's your contract. Um, once he was elected governor, he smartened up a little bit and decided, hmm, I probably shouldn't be signing these contracts over and then literally getting handed money. Um, So he built in a little bit of distance and really muscle to his extortion ring, really getting fancy. Yeah. So um, at that time, what he did is he got his state's roads commissioner to be the one who actually awarded the contracts. 
Um, and then he got his friend, Bud Hammerman, love that, to be uh-huh. what they call the bag man. I, sorry, that was air quotes again, guys. You can't see those. Sorry, my bad. I air quoted bag man. Uh, in my notes Bud this Hammerman. time, I did, right? Bud Hammerman. But, but, but Hammerman sounds like someone uh, who works for, uh, what's his face? Harry. Oh, so true. So true. He does. I feel like Bud would definitely have taken a job with with Henry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be great. Jack's Jocks and then Bud (laughs) Hammerman. It's just Bud Hammerman. That's the name of the company. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm going to know. I'm going to take a note on that. Um, So (laughs) Bud Bud would now pick up the cash. Um, You know, this doesn't come for free, though, because, you know, if you're going to have an extortion ring, everybody's got to get paid like you do. Um, Mm -hmm. So essentially Agnew would keep 50% and the other two guys each got 25%. So everybody's having a good time. Yeah. So that was happening when he was county executive, but as the investigators in 1972 were looking at it, they're like, yeah, 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 that's fine. But statute of limitations, case closed. Um, But then one of the witnesses, Lester Matz, there are great names in this, in this scandal. So I'm just going to give you all of them. You don't really need to keep track. I know. So Lester goes, wait, wait, wait. no, 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 Uh, no, no, no. I, this wasn't just when he was governor or even county executive. I, I went to the vice president's office the other day, dropped off some money. So I don't don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So he just casually mentions it. Um, so yeah, it turns out he had gone several times to Agnew's office in the, in the white house and dropped off literally envelopes of cash, 10 grand in white envelope, handed over Agnew puts it in his desk drawer. They don't say a word cause they're afraid they're being bugged. He walks out. Yeah. I mean, he is still running penny anti scams <laughs> out of the white house step step your pussy up Agnew. right right so so in the, so then they're like yeah maybe it was just lester you know maybe they have some back payments who knows um and then they get another one of these contractors that says oh no 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 i went to the white house two or three times in nixon's first term so yeah i've been dropping off cash this whole time i don't know like two grand here four grand there no no problem again plain envelopes hand it over and you know, yeah. if Judy Agnew had been a serious <laughs> politician's wife, all of this could have been avoided. She would have I happily, know. if she had been Robin Wright in House of Cards, <sighs> she oh would have gosh. been all over that money. I know. I know. If she had had just a little touch of Ladybird in her, I mean, ugh, it would have been oh. such a non-issue. Oh, Ladybird stuffing those ballots with the dead <laughs> men's votes herself. She would never do that. We don't tell. We don't impugn do Lady no, Bird here. Absolutely not. Absolutely. We love not. Lady Bird. We do. We do. Um, it sounds like we're doing a bit, yeah. but we really do. I love know. Lady we, Bird. Don't, we really do, guys. Guys, no, really. We, <laughs> we love just her. can't sound sincere. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, oh, and then also, um, you know, he was also making good on that, though. You know, so he wasn't just taking cash to take cash where he could, he would in fact steer those federal contracts to these businesses. So, you know, quid pro quo, bribery, check. Got it. Doing it, doing it. Not just accepting the cash, but you know, uh, completing that loop. So felony, got it. Um, 
so now the now these Baltimore prosecutors, these young guys, most of them were in like their 20s, fresh out of law school are like, uh, um, okay, now what? So they have all this evidence. I mean, and it is like rock solid. There's no, there are no holes in this story. So um, normally what you would do is you'd bring charges. Great, check. Well, with any federal indictment, you have to go through the Justice Department. That's just what you have to do. Normally it would be, you know, a phone call to your boss or a letter or something like that. Um, but this is the vice president. So, <laughs> so these, these prosecutors are like, I think we should like go in person. Like we shouldn't, we can't call this in. This is too serious. And um, so they essentially get in the car and uh, drive up to Washington. And again, just as a reminder, this is the height of Watergate. So by this time, John Mitchell, um, Nixon's attorney general had already, had already resigned or been fired. I think he was technically fired. Um, and so now there's a new just, there's a new um, AG who's just gotten sworn in, but you're talking about the Nixon justice department who is infamous for covering things up. Right. And by this time, everybody knows it. They know that if you hand something to the justice department or Nixon in general, it may never be seen again but they have to do this. So, <laughs> so they get in the car, they drive up to Washington um, and they meet with the new uh, attorney general who is Elliot Richardson. So it's July 3rd, 1973 by this point. Um, they, they make an appointment with Richardson but they won't tell him or his secretary anything about why they're there. So this is the attorney general of the United States. And there are these 20 something prosecutors from Baltimore and George Bell who roll up in his office and he's like, what are you doing here? Like get, I can't believe it. So he's super annoyed. They get in the office, in his office, they talk and talk and talk. Apparently he gets up and leaves a couple times. Um, he's like, oh gosh. And so finally they get to the point part about the vice president. And they say, you know, Mr. Richardson, the vice president is taking bribes from inside the White House. And we have, here's our evidence for this. And da, 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 da. And um, one of the prosecutors says that Richardson's expression was that of, I need this like I need another hole in the head. <laughs> <laughs> because at this point, he's got, he's, he's the one in charge of Watergate. So yes. he's. Yeah, so the Justice Department is investigating Watergate. There's a special prosecutor. There's a whole thing. Like, it's a whole thing. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And apparently he just sits there and he just keeps saying, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so they're sharing all this evidence and they're saying, you know, we have this, we have this, we have this. And Richardson kind of just looks at him. And um, apparently he does not skip a beat and he starts asking them questions. And he's like, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about this? How are you going to defend that? Blah, 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 blah. And he directs them to keep going. And he says, essentially, you're going to, you're going to report only to me and nothing leaves this room. So no one else knows about this. This is all being done now in secret. You can't tell anybody. 
Um, there is a really great podcast, which is where a lot of this research um, comes from called Bagman. Shout out to Rachel Maddow for doing that one. It's absolutely fantastic. And it goes through all of this. So if anybody wants any more details, by all means, listen to that. It's like eight parts and super in depth. But one of the, um, the uh, prosecutors, she has them because this was 1973. So they're all, you know, just now in their, you know, 60s. And um, so they're all around to talk They're about it. still extent. Yes. So they're, um, they're all around to talk about it. So they um, essentially say, uh, one of them that she, that she has on the, that she interviews essentially says, um, you know, if Elliot Richardson hadn't been the AG at that time, Spiro Agnew would have been president in August of 1974. Like if it wasn't for Elliot Richardson, he, yeah, this, yeah he, 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 any other attorney general would not have said that. So um, it really speaks to, you know, him as a person and what, and what he did and how big of a deal this, this was to say, keep going. I'm not putting this in a drawer because he could have, and no questions asked. They couldn't have done a thing. So anyway, um, oh, okay. And then this, uh, yes. Everyone's always talking about what if JFK hadn't been assassinated? What if someone had stopped? I mean, Lee Harvey Oswald, sure. Uh-huh. But what if what if Agnew had been president? I want to see, I want to picture what that America would have looked like. <sighs> okay. What do you think? I mean, basically Ooh, it would have I mean, been Reagan before Reagan. Yeah. Would have had Reagan Iranian in 74. Crisis. So true the uh the gas crisis like would spiro agnuonomics have been able to withstand that i don't know i think we would have been in a lot of wars a lot sooner that's my guess oh whatever ha- what oh, would yeah, happen with vietnam i was just about to say it'd still be happening probably probably <sighs> uh-huh craziness i know I know. What would the fashion have looked like with Agnew in charge? <laughs> oh, and Junior's first great... lady. We. <laughs> oh my god. We've been robbed. We've been I'm robbed. All for that. I am for that. I am. I vote yes for Judy. Oh. Uh, he always wore yes. those pinstripe suits, Agnew. You know, he was always. He was. He was a bit of. It was just because he was a gangster. He was a con man. I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, people tell you who they are. He was telling everyone exactly who he was. He was. He was not shy. That man was like, look, this is what you got. And we were all just like, mm, okay, well, good. Mm-hmm. God, my grandmother had a Spiro Agnew watch. Oh, yes. Which was uh, on the watch face. It was his, like a cartoon of him. And then his arms were the <laughs> arms of the watch. And I don't know why. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I wish that I had it. Oh gosh, that's a family heirloom you want. Right? I thought mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Scattered to the winds. <sighs> oh, so true. Um, okay, okay, so just, yeah. And then the, I wanted to just um, point out too that, um, and we sort of alluded to this earlier. So by pursuing this investigation, essentially um, Elliot Richardson was saying okay, Watergate's happening, so the president might be forced out of office. Now I have this investigation that says the vice president might be forced out of office, which effectively would overturn the the national election. In 72, again, they won in a landslide. 
So he's effectively saying as attorney general, I might remove these two people from office that the American people overwhelmingly voted for. So that's not a cute look, but that's, that's what he had to do. So anyway, not all heroes he's wear between, capes. So true. He's between a rock and a hard place, if you ask me, that guy. Um, so let's see. Okay, so now we're at August of 73. Um, they, the prosecutors have informed Mr. Agnew that he is uh, under investigation. Uh, he realizes pretty quickly that's not great. And um, so he gets himself a Marty and a Barney and, uh, and as his lawyers, I'm not kidding. And um, they decide they're going to fight it. So um, this also basically happens. There are a couple of things that happen literally overnight in this, in this um, scandal. This is one of them because essentially the prosecution says, hey, we're going to announce this publicly that you're under investigation. And so he's got to get lawyers. Um, and he also doesn't tell his staff. <laughs> they just learn about it. And a lot of them yeah. are like, not a lot, but there are some major um, people on his staff that are uh, on vacation <laughs> and they have to come back. <laughs> so anyway, I, I just I've think that's definitely had a boss like I've definitely had a boss like this before. Yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't casually doesn't tell them. Um, so basically they decide that they're going to go after this, um, from a defensive standpoint under like in three ways. One is public. Um, Agnew is going to take it to the people. He's going to go do like this, essentially a press tour, um, and claim, you know, the justice department is out to get me. They're picking on me. This is a winch hunt, uh, witch hunt. We've heard that one before. So unoriginal. Um, (laughs) Just ugh, this whole scandal, I'm just like, oh, it makes Trump look so unoriginal. Um, anyway. Yes. Yeah. And boring. So, and boring. Ugh. And sordid. I know. Um, so yeah, see, so he goes around the country. He goes to, um, there's an LA convention for re- Republican women. He goes and does this big speech about how um, they're being mean to him and there's no evidence and the Justice Department has no credibility and they're just trying to get get me so they can you know, gain their credibility back. Um, his lawyers go through the, go through the courts. Um, that's his sort of second line of defense. Um, and he, essentially what starts happening is that the newspapers are getting um, leaks or information and they think it's coming from the Justice Department and they, but they won't name their sources. So um, Agnew's lawyers say, well, that's not fair. You, we want to put these um, reporters under oath and make them tell us who's giving them their sources. Um, the judge actually says, yeah, all right, go for it. Um, so they issue all of these subpoenas, but none of the reporters show up for their testimony. So there's that going oh. on. Um, and basically it's sort of like a distraction tactic where now the press isn't covering the scandal. They're covering the fact that they're being subpoenaed. So it works. So now the press is distracted. Great. The people are saying the justice department is so mean and they're out to pick, you're just picking on and leave them alone. Um, and then, yeah. So that's basically his defense is let's distract everybody from what's actually going on here. And then also just as a backup, because why not? Um, let's just do some light obstruction of justice. Why not? Just fine. 
Um, well, he's a multitasker. We know this. <laughs> we do. I mean, you look, if I will give him credit, he did basically try everything. So yeah, you know, he went all, he went all in. So, you know, good for him. Um, so he's also, so, so basically what he does is he goes to the white house, um, and he says, Hey, we got to make this investigation go away. He starts with um, HR or Bob Haldeman, who is the White House chief of staff at the time when this all starts. But by the time you get to the good stuff, he actually has been fired because of Watergate. Um, so people are just dropping like flies and <laughs> can't keep track of them. Um, so then uh, the next White House chief of staff is Al Haig. Um, and and really Nixon is, uh, it, get, it gets to Nixon that there's this investigation and he uh, calls in Agnew and they meet and they come up with this scheme of how they're gonna stop the investigation. Um, and of course we know this because it's all on tape. So um, that's part of the fun thing about the Nixon tapes too is that not only is Watergate on these tapes but so is this. Yes. <laughs> I also so love just... that there was never a discussion of well, obviously I'm innocent. It was just always, well, <laughs> no. how are we going to make this go yes. away? Yes. There was never like, well, I didn't do it. It was just like, they're after me. And I'm like, but wait, <laughs> wait, what about the charges? Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, so, yeah. So he convinces Nixon that essentially these prosecutors are, you know, liberal prosecutors out to get him. Ugh. And Nixon, of course, loves that. So he goes right in for that. He's like, well, we can't, can't have that. Um, so oh. they decide that their plan is um, to have Glenn Bell, who is uh, a sitting U.S. Senator, talk to his brother, George Bell, who is the lead prosecutor on this case, who is the Attorney General oh. of Maryland. Yes. So Glenn mm. should talk to his little brother and convince his little brother that he needs to sit on, sit in on all these investigation, um, investigation talks to make sure that the, these fanatical prosecutors don't, you know, go in the wrong direction. Um, so that's their plan. They're going to say, Glenn, talk to your brother, make him stop this. Uh, uh -huh. Not great. No, not great, not great. And if it stopped there, then fine, whatever. You know, it's an idea, but it didn't. Um, now, who's, <laughs> yeah. Now, who's going to talk to Glenn? Right? Oh, such a so terrible because Nixon can't ask. That would look bad. Um, Haig, no. the White House chief of staff, can't ask. That would look bad. Agnew can't ask. That would look bad. So, whoever will we find? Enter one George H. W. Bush. Oh, who, yeah. Who at the time is the head of the uh, Republican National Committee. So they say, hey, George, need you to ask. He goes, sure things, thing, guys, I'm on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a fun guest appearance. Realized, I've never realized that Bush was involved. Yeah. No one really knew a lot of this, uh, this, this part, this obstruction of justice part, or obstruction of the investigation, whatever, um, was all kind of new stuff that this Bagman podcast turned up that nobody had really reported on. The prosecutors, even at the time, had no idea that this was going on. So it oh, turns wow. up, yeah, it turns up on the Nixon tapes, and then it turns up in um, 
there's like a letter they write to George Bush or something that's like, hey, I need you to do this. Yeah, it's very bizarre. So he is a fun guest appearance that no one knew about. I was like, oh my gosh, what if people had known? What? Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't uh-huh. have made any difference. Probably not. No. Um, then, okay. So then, so, okay, fine. You asked George Bush. He says, no, that would have been fine. He didn't. He asked. And um, would have been fine if Glenn had said like, hey guys, I don't think that's appropriate. He didn't. He asked his brother. So he talks to George Bell and says, hey, I need you to, you know, stop this or make sure that it doesn't go in the wrong direction. Um, George Bell says, fuck off. So he says, I'm not doing it. You're absolutely insane. Leave me alone. No, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So, you know, we have some uh, quid pro quo. We have some bribery. We have now obstruction of justice checks. So we're really racking up the felonies. Um, yeah, love it. Love to see it. (laughs) So the obstruction of justice isn't working and we have the public sentiment and you have the press, but these, um, and any attack on the investigation is yes, working for the press and working for the public, but really the prosecutors are just getting more angry and more like, okay, we're just gonna find more evidence and bring these charges faster. And so he's really just kind of pissing them off. And um, so the last idea that they have as part of his defense is you can't indict a sitting vice president, maybe? Uh, Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh. Yeah, they try it. Um, The lawyers are like, yeah, that's a thing. You can't indict a sitting vice president because how would that work? (laughs) And so they're trying that. Um, And Agnew also gets this idea that instead of getting indicted, um, he would rather have the Congress hold impeachment hearings for him because it's going to slow some things down. um, But it's also going to, uh, he, I think what he thinks is that basically he won't get impeached because the Senate is run by Republicans. But, and so if he doesn't get impeached, that he can say, look, that's the only way that someone can be removed from office is through impeachment. They didn't impeach me. Nothing to see here. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, Congress is like, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that, but thanks. No. Um, And also this pushes Nixon over the edge. Nixon, Nixon is like, we do not talk about impeachment. We never mentioned that word. No, 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 no that's enough out of you. He sends Haig to tell Agnew to resign. Agnew's like, no, big middle finger. I'm not doing it. So now, yeah. So now Nixon and Agnew are not speaking. There's a huge riff. It's all over the media that they are on this huge fight and it's a big deal. So now Nixon is not in his camp. Um, so, uh, so basically, um, everything's moving forward with the investigation. Um, Elliot Richardson decides that now's the time to pull the trigger on um, negotiations or charges or something. He's got to go. So he uh, reaches out to the lawyers. They start secret negotiations. Um, and the deal is essentially, he says, look, I'll only charge you with tax evasion no jail time, but you got to leave the White House immediately. Um, the lawyers who were all, you know, puffy about you can't indict a sitting vice president were like, well, 
we're not really sure if that's going to hold up. So <laughs> we should probably take the deal. So um, they cut a deal. Um, Richard Sinton says, great, you resign tomorrow. And so they set a court date for 2 p.m. the next day. Um, meanwhile, the prosecutors have to write up essentially all the charges. They don't have it. So they have to spend all night writing the charges. Agnew's got to spend all night um, writing his resignation letter because he doesn't have that. Fun fact, the vice president has to resign to the secretary of state. Hmm. Yeah, that's how that oh. works. Um, so, uh, the court date is set, like I said, for the next day, 2 PM, um, everybody's waiting in the courtroom. Agnew does not show up early. <laughs> he's such a dick. Well, he's tired. <laughs> and, um, 2 PM rolls around and everybody is there and he's not there. And so he rolls in, he rolls in just slightly late, but still everybody's like, <gasps> And what the lawyers, <laughs> <laughs> what the Justice Department has done is said, um, we're going to have your resignation letter essentially walked into uh, the Secretary of State's office as soon as you walk into that courtroom. They were actually afraid up until that moment that he would walk in and say, um, you know, Your Honor, I don't know what these charges are about. about. I'm the vice president. You can't indict me. You know, I'm leaving. So they were really concerned about that. And um, so they wanted to have the resignation letter triggered as soon as he walked into the courtroom. So he pleads uh, no contest to, um, to tax evasion, essentially, um, and resigns. And that's October 10th, 1973. Um, fun fact again, uh, October 20th was the Saturday Night Massacre. So just in time. Yeah, that's how wow, close everything's overlapping. Realize- I didn't realize he resigned before the Saturday massacre. Just, just. Mm-hmm. What did he do with the rest of his life, Casey? <laughs> oh, good. Um, so he leaves office, but he will not let it go. So he's not like, going. <laughs> good. That's the <laughs> yeah, spiral yeah. I know and love. I know. So he will not let it go. Um, he is. He essentially. Um, goes on he goes on another press tour because he loves those um and he goes on about this story that he only resigned because nixon threatened to assassinate him so he claims yeah he claims that he claims on national television that when haig came to visit to tell him to resign that he insinuated that if agnew didn't resign he might have an unfortunate accident i see So he has this elaborate story, which he does not let go until the day he dies, that he left office because he felt his life was in danger. Um, he also goes on a primetime TV national, like to address the nation, which did not happen. Vice presidents do not have primetime television engagements no. to address the nation after they leave office, but he got the networks to do it. Um, that essentially backed up that these prosecutors were out to get me and they were, it's all politically motivated and I didn't do anything wrong. So he's just, he's going, he's going for it. Um, and but I'm that- sure those were, that was a ratings bonanza. <laughs> Best decision those producers ever made. Um, hmm. 
but essentially what turns out that this was mostly just another distraction so that people didn't keep looking because while the prosecutors were looking at the criminal side of things, um, the IRS was over there going, what'd you do with all that money, Spiro? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So oh, it turns out, <laughs> I know those, I mean, you think it's a boring agency, but those, I mean, they get some juicy stuff over there. You never know. <laughs> you never know. They got um, Capone. I know. I mean, ugh. They really, it's, it's the most underrated bureaucracy, I think. I think that's the, mm, mm, uh-huh. mm. Mm-hmm. That's um, the takeaway from this story. <laughs> if you're looking for a juicy job in the government bureaucracy, check out the IRS. Come on down. Ooh, sexy. <laughs> that's their new recruitment video. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so it turns out, yeah, he was spending it. So he was buying lots of sports cars. He was buying lots of women's jewelry, but jewelry never made it to Judy. Oh no, Judy. Poor Judy. It never, she never got any of the jewelry. It went elsewhere. Turns out homeboy had a bunch of mistresses and lots of shady dealings. And yeah, he was living a life, living a life. Um, and Agnew really, most, most of the theories say that Agnew really, like that was really what he didn't want to get out. Um, he was really the poster boy, poster boy for conservative values. And uh, that oh, might not yeah. be a great look for him. Yeah. So um, that's basically, I think, what ended up having him go quietly into the night. Um, which he didn't, it wasn't quiet at all. So he and Judy, he and Judy ended up going back to Maryland. They uh, lived in Ocean City for a while, which is a great little beach town. Um, But they were broke, obviously. They had lots of fines and taxes. (laughs) Yeah. So um, Agnew rings up a friend and says, hey, I need $200,000. Guess who that friend is? (gasps) Uh, Elvis Presley. Oh, good guess though. Good guess. It was the chairman himself, one Mr. Frank Sinatra. Oh, I was so close. You were close. Kind of. You were close. <laughs> that was good. That was a good one. Um, yeah, so so Frank lends him the 200 grand. Um, he then he tries, he opens like a consulting firm. He tries a little like land deals, some beer distribution, um, neither of which go go great for him. Um, so yeah. he, he decides in 1976 that, um, writing is his calling calling. So he writes a novel, um, that's like, that's just a little too like based on the truth for anyone to swallow. And, um, it's called the Canfield decision. And it's about an American vice president that has a troubled relationship with the president. It's very mm. creative. <laughs> Uh, clearly we need to have an offshoot book club from this podcast because (laughs) I desperately want to start reading that book. I know between that one and Henry Vinson's book. I mean, we really have some assignments. I mean, well, and I've got, I've got a book club for my, for my next scandal too. So stay tuned. Oh, good. Yay. Um, so the book was a commercial success. So he gets some money. turns out, um, his fictional counterpart was super anti-Semitic. So that caused a bit of an uproar. Yeah. Mm, uh-huh. Interesting. Which well, is that's not so shocking you know it's not based Nixon on him. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
because no one associated with the Nixon White House, so it's anti anti-Semitic at all layer in the sarcasm. No. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, they moved to California in 1977. He was able to, to pay back old blue eyes, so that's good. And um, oh, however, nice. by 1980, um, he, he was writing a letter to the Prince of Saudi Arabia, essentially begging him for a $2 million interest-free interest loan. Yeah, he was complaining, essentially he wrote Saudi Arabia complaining that all this anti- uh, anti-Semitic sentiment had caused a bunch of lawsuits and legal fees and all this different stuff uh, that had <laughs> caused him to spend all of his money. So he needed some money. Um, no one really knows if the loan actually happened because he wanted it deposited in a Swiss bank account like you do. Um, but there is a thank you letter that he wrote afterwards that seems like the loan happened. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, I don't know where he found the time in 1980, but he also wrote a memoir, still claiming oh. his innocence. Yeah, still claiming his innocence, saying that he only resigned because the White House threatened to assassinate him again. Um, but here's where he, he sort of trips up is that he also discusses conversations that he had with his lawyer, George White, which broke the confident, con like lawyer client confidentiality, which you can do as the client, but that also makes yeah. it non binding. Yeah. Yeah. So when Maryland law students brought a case against him to pay back the bribe money to say, like, you stole money from Maryland, pay it back, um, they also get white who's his lawyer on the record saying agnew confessed to him so agnew oh, never agnew. confessed <laughs> so now this lawyer is free to speak and essentially he's telling all these lies in his book and and george white the lawyer they bring him in and he's under oath and he's like yeah he told me he did it he said um this type of thing has been going on for thousands of years what they told you is true what Wow, Spiro That's what got I expected him. more, but I'm not disappointed in what you eventually mm -hmm. delivered. <laughs> yeah, so that's really what got his confession on the record. Um, so by proxy, he's never confessed, but still. Um, and then after that, he, he basically has sort of di disappeared into uh, history. And, and anytime he pops up, he sort of keeps the woe is me line. Um, I'm the victim here and, and all of that. So, um, is he still alive? Uh, no, I'd have to look that up. I should have looked that up. No, he died in 96. Oh, there you go. Good job. You're quick. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's the, that's the story of, um, Spiro Agnew. Um, and Nixon doesn't resign until a bit after. And so he's uh, out in 74, I believe. So, you know, yeah. and I yeah. think <laughs> Betty Ford was behind I, all of this. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I think the biggest loser in this is poor Jerry Ford. That guy got stuck. I mean, look, he had oh. a plan. He had a life. He was just going to Nancy Pelosi the shit out of the house for a while and then retire. Yes. I mean, Yes. And then poor Betty. I mean, she did not sign up for that. I mean, she had, she was happy 
sitting on her chaise, drinking her martinis, bothering no one. And then all of a sudden they're like, now you're the first lady. Now you got to do things. She's like, I don't want to do things. Leave me alone. If she, she, God, poor Betty no. Ford. I know. I hope she didn't have to drink a martini out of Judy Agnew's Mason <laughs> Jar collection. You know what? I really, I just want, I want, like, because they were vice president for a hot minute. So, like, I want, yeah. I wonder what Judy and, and Betty talked about when they had their little intro. <laughs> I don't think much. I mean, when someone asked Judy Agnew what she thought of her, what she was doing as second lady, she said, I'm just trying to keep the ashtrays clean. <laughs> what amazing amazing oh Uh, i love it you know what there's there's a play i want to see a play about (laughs) betty ford and judy agnew meeting Uh, like 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 one night in miami style you know like yes (laughs) yes exactly and pat nixon comes in briefly yes of course of course she breaks it all up she's like what are you two doing (laughs) get it together uh, oh my together. gosh we don't wear fur here where's your good cloth republican coat <laughs> betty ford <laughs> uh, that would be amazing we'll we'll uh we'll start workshopping that script yeah i'm gonna okay. yeah i'm gonna uh, work <laughs> on that tonight uh i love it i love it okay so that's the story of um uh, a Spiro Ted Agnew. I also looked at his Wikipedia and the photo of him looks exactly like you would imagine this it man is. looks. Yes, it's great. It's a great photo. It's like, yep, mm-hmm, that's exactly what I thought. And and you just, you don't have to know this, but he for sure has brown shoes on. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like those brown yeah. patent leather shoes. Yeah, uh-huh. That's for sure uh-huh. what he's wearing. Mm-hmm. oh Spiro he never disappoints ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a gem such a gem so well thank you for listening guys I'm sorry it was so long I hope it was um uh, tolerable you took us on a I journey hope, <laughs> I hope it made sense <laughs> not by the way shows up I know there's some great guest appearances great guest appearances and it really was my notes on this were so long and I really tried to cut it back so there's tons of information again a huge shout out to the Bagman podcast um I just think that uh there's there's so much going on with this one that uh I tried to include as much but not everything there are lots of uh, fun facts and side information that's out there too so but this is one of my favorites so i had to do it well i love any story about spiro and judy agnew so i was (laughs) delighted to listen oh marvelous marvelous well thanks everybody and we will be back with another episode mark will tell us a story next week oh i can't wait yay fun fun okay bye everybody Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.